Well, we're very happy now to be joined by uh, a couple of guests here on the show. Don Wetzel Sr., who uh, played for the University of Montana Grizzly men's basketball team in the late 60s and early 70s out of Cutbank, Montana, one of the great, great basketball players for the Montana Grizzlies, and Ryan Wetzel as well, his son, who is a friend of the show, I think I could say, Ryan, at this point. We're happy to have you back on as well, but a lot of stuff to cover here. Uh, this is, uh, we're, we're excited to have you here on the roundtable because this is an exciting uh, a story. I know it's a difficult story at times, but also a story that for folks who don't really understand everything that has gone into the the Washington football team's logo and icon that they have used, uh, you know, most recently and has been part of not just the Blackfeet Nation, but your family specifically, uh, uh, Ryan and Don. We wanted to delve into that stuff and also talk about, you know, the, the playing basketball back in the 60s and the 70s in the state of Montana and coming from Cutbank to Missoula and what that was like, Don. So we wanted to cover all that stuff, but we appreciate you being here. How are you both? We're doing great, yeah. Ryan. We appreciate you uh, having us come on. Uh, you know, just thankful to, to be able to have an opportunity to kind of let Dad share his insight on everything and, you know, me here to just kind of ride along and, and also share a little bit on my end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's start with the basketball stuff. Uh, obviously, a tremendous basketball playing family. And, Ryan, you're you know, a great player over the years as well. But, Don, you uh, – you were outstanding in your time as a player, both at Cutbank, a state champion there, and then also uh, with the Montana Grizzlies, four years uh, spent uh, at the University of Montana. I believe it was 68 to 71, something in there, if I've got my numbers about right, as well as being the, your senior year, the MVP of the team. What was it like for you at that time? How did you get the basketball bug? What was it that that, that game got into you? Because you were good at a lot of sports, Don. Well, you know, I I um I think being um I, I was raised on uh, the uh Blackfeet reservation, a place they call Seville Flats. And um pretty desolate country. And we had three buildings there and growing up um I built a uh, gym in a little granary I had and um, started shooting a, a little ball into a, um, I believe it was a commodity tomato, U.S. commodity tomato can <laughs> that I cut out. <laughs> and I had a little <laughs> a little ball and I, I'd, I'd spend seven, eight hours a day out there, and pretty soon, uh, you know, I would I would uh, use everything. Uh, we we as a family, and you know, go up to the old chicken coop. My mom provided me with those little um, goofy balls, and she made me throw the ball off the chicken coop. And I had this glove, and I'd have to try and chase that thing down. Now that's that's pretty cool when you're about six years old. And so every part of the, um, the, the homestead, we even built a baseball field and friends from cup bank would all come out and play with the ball at the old ranch. And, um, so I, I had a lighting, um, 
especially for basketball because I would spend hours in that gym and I knew every one of my favorite players was um, Wilt Chamberlain just because of his jump hook and his floater who I stole from Wilt Chamberlain. But I knew them all out there and I'd keep score and then I'd figure out a game uh, I'd play my left hand against my right hand, taking me about two hours. So, you know, I, I grew up uh, with uh, really not much to do, but finding a lot of stuff to do, with, and, and the ball was a big part of that, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Don, I, yeah. I, find, I find the connection between uh, Native American culture, particularly in the state of Montana, and the sport of basketball to be fascinating. I remember when I first moved to Montana back in 1993, one of the first Sports Illustrateds I ever got was the iconic Sports Illustrated that had Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson on the cover for the Dream Team, but it had an article in that Sports Illustrated called Shadows of a Nation by Gary Smith, one of the great sports stories, in my opinion, ever written. And it was all about basketball on the Indian reservations in Montana. I think you actually might have even been mentioned in the story, but the primary character, Jonathan, takes enemy. But he t- I mean, they talked yeah. about Elvis mm-hmm. Old Bull and, and a lot of the, the legendary uh, Indian basketball players in the state of Montana. Why is that? What, what do you think the connection is between uh, the, the culture that you grew up in on the reservation and the sport of basketball? Well, you know, um, the sport of, you know, if you go, if you look back in history, like the Mayans, and you go back a long ways, twenty-five thousand years, and and the Mayans had a game where they actually had a hoop and had a ball and shot it in that hoop, and so the ball and the Indian traditions. Uh, have been together for a long time, and and, he, and Naismith invented the game of basketball, of course. But if you read his history, his his favorite sport was uh, lacrosse, and he wanted to find a, an indoor game, I guess, to to play. And he loved the ball and the hoop, and he read all that Indian history on how the Indians did use that in, in, a, in a lot of our traditions. So it's been there. Don Wetzel joining us along with his son Ryan here on the ESPN Roundtable. And uh, Don, a great, great basketball player, both at the high school level at Cutbank and then for the Montana Grizzlies uh, as well. And I wanted I heard this. Now you tell me if this is true, Don. You broke into the gym in Cutbank. You had to actually do B and E to get in there so that you could go play basketball and work out. Like maybe when it was cold out and stuff. Is this true? Yeah, but the best part is um, I'd have to go to. We had train tracks about I'd say a mile from my house before we got to the main highway. And those trains had to stop there at an old granary. And every now and then, I could hook one of them in the cut bank and <laughs> come flying off like a crazy man as I crossed that bridge. But no, you know what? It, it 
Yeah, I did break in the gyms. <laughs> and uh, they couldn't keep me out, you know. And <laughs> the cops would come and run my ass out of there. But then I'd go break in the big gym. And, and the thing is, um, there's a couple times that I, I slept. This is crazy, man. I did sleep in the gym a few times and so I could get up and start firing that ball, see? But yeah, I did that. And at the University of Montana, at my floor, uh, I had some wild athletes on my floor and if it got too out of hand, I would actually go sleep in the old Dahlberg gym uh, locker room. Well, I'll tell you what, it is it's remarkable and for for what you became as a basketball player, maybe it's no surprise the dedication that you had and the love. I mean, at this point, it's nothing you have to say, it's not just dedication, it's not motivation, it is love for the game of basketball that you had uh that would would push you to go work as hard as you did and just stay on it the way you did. Get, tell us quickly, what, what do you remember about your time at the University of Montana? What was it like playing for the Grizzlies at that time? Uh, you know, for you, and obviously a very successful and unbelievable career that you had at Montana. Well, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I hurt my knee in 19, uh, when we, we were heading in the last conference game and I popped my knee and it was a bad knee injury. So I went to the U and uh, played on the freshman team. And, and boy, I shouldn't have been playing. I, I might have been redshirted at that time because after every practice and every other game, I'd have to get my knee aspirated. And that Dr. Curry at the U, you know, he'd just be waiting for me and pull that stuff out of my knee. And I just kept going with I probably should have took some time off, uh, but I I didn't. So I played hard for them, and and one of the things that um, was very um, I talked to an old friend of mine who played on the team. It was the fact that you know we all signed on to play for Ron Nord. Uh, Ron Nord had great attitude, smart man, then he quits. Uh, so we went through three head coaches in my four years there. And God, I went from shooting guard to, to point guard. I'm going to give you an incident that happened that I think you guys got to know. We had an awful good team when I was a sophomore. Uh, I was playing opposite a guard by the name of Harold Ross. And Harold Ross was from Seattle and was one of the best players I ever played with. And we go down to Utah. He outguns old Mike Newland, you know, 38 to 39 points, some damn thing like that. And I broke my nose. And because I tried to guard that monster, that new lineman. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we had a guy by the name of Henry Saunders, a black kid. He goes downtown uh, over Christmas, I believe. We had to practice. And he gets caught. I don't know how to say this. But 
doing things. He's shoplifting. Yeah. And so he said he didn't do it, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing goes. And all of a sudden, we lose uh, Harold Ross, I think, uh, Willie Chet, Willie, I can't remember, but we lost four damn good players who walked off that team. And Harold Ross was one of them. And, and you don't hear much of that, that protest. And I think we had a shot at Weaver State that year. And uh, after that happened, it collapsed because Ross was a guy keeping us going. He could find me. I never had a guy find me open like that. So that, that was devastating, man. And uh, a lot of the kids quit, but there was shit we stuck on. I think old Ray Howard was playing with me, but we didn't win that many games. But, boy, um, that crew that ended as seniors all had heart, man. I mean, because it was a rough goal. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well, we, we appreciate the memory, and it's good to – have stories that we haven't heard before that we're not familiar with and understand some of what took place at that time. We appreciate that, Don. Ryan, yeah. I want to ask you about yeah. so hearing some of these old school stories because I think one of the, uh, the great parts of, of Native culture in general is just the way that the stories are passed down. And anybody that follows ba- Native basketball in Montana, they, they know the stories of all the legends that came before them and all the guys that are contemporaries now – but when you were growing up, you know, with the prestige your dad had, but also just how many great basketball players there have been from the reservations in Montana, how did that influence you? And what sort of um, way did that help pave a path for your basketball, your life in basketball? Well, it was pretty easy. I, had, I, had, I was surrounded by a bunch of great athletes, you know, my, my siblings, my dad, my uncles, you know, my grandfather, you know, a lot of people don't know my great uncle's uh, Hall of Famer at the University of Western, Jess Wetzel. And, you know, he's he's one of those kind of guys you you don't hear too much on, but, you know, it's just another one of those guys, part of that legacy. And, you know, and then just for me coming up, my dad would always be coaching. So we'd have guys, you know, I knew Chris Boya, Kurt Walker, you know, all these UM legends back when they were in middle school because um, they were the same age as my older brother Donnie Jr. So, you know, these guys were staying at our house all summer long, going to tournaments and stuff when I'm, you know, five, six, seven years old. And then, you know, with guys coming on the scene like J.R. Camel, he was just one of those guys in my kind of generation where how athletic he was, how quick he got to the rim, uh, coming straight from the res. Uh, he just popped up and here he went and you know that was one of my guys kind of where I was like holy crap this guy's got the game you know he knows he knows how to play and so it was just it was just all part of that accumulation of things and then just constantly being around just standout players from the state of Montana and the reservations I mean I could go on and on we've seen some of the uh, best basketball teams in the state even still now uh, teams with with uh, a bunch of Native American guys, or, or even teams from reservations. I mean, Harden was a mini dynasty in Class A last couple of years, but Browning's been really good. Lodgegrass has been really good. R. Lee obviously had their phenomenal run, playing in three straight state championships, winning back to back. Do you feel like 
the legends of the past still resonate with kids of today? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. You go into any of these gyms throughout the reservations, you mention certain names and people will get it right away. Even the surrounding communities to these reservations. Um, you know, it was always fun to see, you know, when a Harden would roll into town back in my day at Billings Central, they'd be playing, you know, Billings West and half the gym was crows from crow country. And, you know, you just watch out, you know, class A school come into these double A powerhouses with, you know, nothing but res ball run and gun. And, and it was just highlight after highlight. And you would hear people echoing, oh, man, it looked like, you know, George Yellow Eyes or, of course, Elvis Old Bull. You got David Bell up from Fort Belknap, um, Richard Dion from Poplar, Montana, won two uh, world titles with the CBA, uh, Yakima Sun Kings. You know, you got these kids that get to look up to these kind of guys, and, and the culture of basketball in the reservation is, is about as strong as it gets, you know, with this Harden team and, and Lodgegrass teams and Browning and, you know, Rocky Boy and Box Elder. I mean, you could just go on and on how, how many wonderful basketball programs are out there right now in Montana reservation. Ryan Wetzel and Don Wetzel Sr. joining us on the ESPN Roundtable. And we've talked a lot of basketball, guys, but there's uh, uh, another topic of conversation here that we need to get to, and that is uh, what has gone on recently here with the, the now Washington football team and the icon that they have had uh, for years now, which is n not just uh, uh, an icon from or a logo from the Blackfeet Indian tribe, but actually from your family, your your uh, paternal lineage, uh, Ryan and Don. And Don, I know that this has been something that has been uh, near and dear to your heart, that this has been something uh, that that has been a source, I think, of great pride and also of, of, of consternation at times as well. And for us on the outside, we don't really know all the insight of what's going on and how things have you know progressed both with the you know the logo in the first place how it came to be and now with its removal and what that has what that has been and you guys know this firsthand so tell us tell us about this story and 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 how this logo came to be part of the NFL and the in the, uh, the Washington franchise okay I'm gonna let Ryan hit that yeah no and you know the story's already been kind of reiterated out there and told in, in various dynamics, but the important thing is to know is the the prestige and the level of, of knowledge and, and gratitude of, of my grandpa, Walter Blackie Wetzel. The guy is a real deal. He was he was so charming, charismatic and he just had a, a vision. He was a visionary and you know, back in that time a lot of people didn't know you know, American Indians as citizens weren't really, uh, they weren't um, um, considered even right. in that time. And it was a challenge for, for, for Indian people to be recognized. And for Grandpa, you know, his whole push was to help Indian country. Uh, he was a bridge builder. Non-Native and Native all had nothing but wonderful things to say about him. And for him to step in the scene and, do what he did politically, climbing the ladder so quick, becoming friends with Robert Kennedy. Uh, we're talking friends with John F. Kennedy, our president. Uh, we got pictures hanging in our houses of him and hanging out with Lyndon Johnson. Um, but, you know, even going farther back, he was a three-sport standout at the University of Montana. 
you know, grew up right there in Browning, Montana, tough life. But to climb the ladder and be where he's at to finding this this profile of this Indian and going in and, and saying to the Redskins organization, this is what I'd like you to put on that helmet instead of this R, if you could put this on here, this profile of a, of a warrior, you know, that is what I would like to see done if you're representing my people. And he did it. And that, that right there and that story for our family has been so cherished, so loved and, and appreciated. Nothing to do really with the name part of it, but more so the logo. And that's where the conflict always would happen is you'd hear Wetzel name, logo, and then the name would get tossed into the mix with that Redskins name. And it was never our our deal on that end. It was just the logo. Blackie was a good, humble, powerful man. And... Um, and he didn't have a single enemy. You know, I wanted to state that. No. He didn't care what color, what, I mean, I, guys, I ran into, uh, John Lewis had just passed away. The activist, yeah. Yeah. my cousin and I were coming back from DC and John Lewis was walking with his security guards to the, to the airport or the terminal. And, and I go, geez. And I look at my cousin, I say, look, that's John Lewis, man. And we go over there, we start shooting the breeze with him and, I mentioned grandpa's name. I said, do you ever hear of a Walter Blackie Wetzel? Because grandpa told the story of when he was in D.C. over the Million Man March. And Martin Luther King met with him and said, you Native Americans need to come with us and march. And, and grandpa said it wasn't, it wasn't his time to lead his people. And, and so I mentioned that story to John Lewis. And John Lewis, when I said, you know Blackie Wetzel and explained who he was, he looked at me and goes, I remember him. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Hmm. <laughs> so that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he, he, my dad, um, that logo has been on there 40 some years, 48, I think somebody said. But, you know, the Redskin name goes back about 150 years. And, you know, it goes through, it goes through the town of Boston. It goes. Uh, somebody said, one of the Redskins uh, people had told me that, well, you know, uh, Jim Thorpe, uh, Samson Bird, who happens to be my cousin, who played for Carlisle, that Jim Thorpe was involved in, well, all that's BS, you know. Not, I mean, so that Redskin name goes way back. And... Um, the logo is is just forty two years old, and that and that puts us kind of in it. I don't think it, the Redskin name bothered my father because I I saw an old junior high photo of a uh, I won't say the town, but it's way back in fifty something that the name of them were the Redskins, and um, so I don't think he, Blackie just went went. He he wanted that logo basically to unite the red nation, to unite Indian people with the circle. Everything's involved in that. You know, when when this story first broke, and we know that there's been talk and, and even pressure put on for Daniel Snyder to change the name, to change the logo perhaps over the years, and he's never really done it. Then all of a sudden, you know, 
the winds of change or whatever, and all of a sudden in, in like, you know, a week, all of a sudden it's just gone and it's all taken down. And Coulter and I, when that, that first happened, had this very, you know, this this duplicitous, I guess, kind of conversation where when you take a look at the name, you can certainly understand why or where that would be something that you, you maybe want to or should change. And, but then also that the, the logo and the image that was used always felt so very respectable and so, uh, you know, as as a great icon and, and an, an homage to, uh, you know, to the Blackfeet, but also to Native Americans in general nationwide. Is that how you see that or how do you feel about that in general in terms of the way that this progressed in the last, you know, month? You know, I think it's really important to emphasize that, you know, we had, you know, our whole support for Grandpa was 100% just of what he accomplished. The name thing, we can we can understand that to a degree. Um, but the important thing, too, is, you know, we, we wish there was a little bit more consideration of involving the heads of Walter Blackie Wetzel, the head of his estate, his family members, myself and my dad, and some other members, you know, just being even just informed, hey, you know, if, if we would have heard something, if there was something along the lines of, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline, we, we are so thankful for what, you know, your grandfather did for the Indian people, for the Redskins organization, you know, just any type of, you know, involvement on that end would have been really appreciated. But the way that it was handled and how quick it went, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking because, you know, they're still – the living children of this man who have accomplished great things and, and had inspiration because of their dad and, and to have it just go and boom, it's gone and see you later and, and no kind of regard on that end. It was, it's been a little bit hard. And know, so, and Don, on, so nobody from the franchise or from the organization ever reached out to you or anybody else in your family ab- about this during this process. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you something about those Redskins. Um, I, uh, I wasn't doing very well, and I went back in 2014, and, and I saw some things, and uh, me and my son Christian spotted them. Uh, the next time we went out, I sent Ryan, but no, they, look, man, you got this guy, and all of a sudden, he's sitting there, and... He says, hey, that's my logo on there. That's that's my chief, is what he said. And, hey, look, they're using it. And so all that transpires, and uh, you got to hear my Uncle Earl's oral review on that because it's really good, Dr. Earl Barlow, but we'll get into that. But then... Then within two weeks, he received, um, I believe, three, four helmets mm-hmm. and um, a garbage can that was yellow that had the R on it. That was the old R that Lombardi put on there. So they haven't even sent anybody to his funeral. Finally, I wrote them when my brother Mike died. I said, you sons of bitches, it, it could bring this trinkets and beads bullshit. You know, sending us this, these helmets and all that shit. 
I says, when Mike died, I says, don't send us another helmet. If I see one of them, I'm going to fire it right back to you. So that that's kind of where it's at. You know, there's there's that upset of just not really concluding in the right way. It's just no. taken and, and then used and then just kind of thrown away after all these years with no kind of regard for, for my dad and his and it, it, it sort of that. feels like take a number, right? Like, okay, we got the thing we needed. Here's a, here's a helmet. Have a nice day. You know, and but no actual yeah. Yeah. consideration about what you know what this means to the group of people who brought it to them. Yeah, and the thing yeah. is, yeah. real quick, is you know, Blackie was a boarding school kid, and their stories. You know, he didn't go to boarding school at five, as one of my relatives have said. He lived with relatives at the boarding school, Cup Bank Boarding School. But Blackie has got a heck of a story for somebody like Clint Eastwood to grab onto. And I'll tell you why. The boarding school system was set to take the Indian out of the Indians and make us white and make us farmers and all that. So here's old Blackie. They put him in boarding school. He's 12 years old, and he's at Haskell. Uh, educational facility in Lawrence, Kansas, and he escapes from there, gets a freight train and another buddy, and ride that freight all the way to Laurel, Montana, and home. Like he was 12 years old. Wow. That's just some character right there. Some drive. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is really amazing. And the way he climbs through getting the National Congress of American Indians presidency is an unbelievable read for any judge, any politician, any of these highfalutin junior Trump guys. Read how that guy got that presidency, right, right? Well, I understand the dynamic uh, between your family and, and the, um, it seems to me, disrespect that they've showed you guys or, or maybe just lack of engagement whatsoever. Uh, but just from a broad perspective, I mean, the, to me, what has gone on recently uh, is the culmination of a bunch of events that are both, I think, uh, positive for the United States of America, but also not as well. You know, the, the Redskins yeah. name itself has been controversial for decades and uh, i think yeah. that the logo itself has been on one hand a great homage uh, to your culture but on the other hand uh, something that's been debated widely as well but to me the only reason that the ownership of the washington redskins changed a thing was because of money and because of the climate that we're currently living in and i think the climate that's pushing for change is good but the obsession with money is is horrendous, and I think that that's a very sad truth in terms of the the changes that they made. So, I mean, you guys want to be honored as a family, no question. But what do you think of just the removal of the logo and the changing of the name in general? You know, again, I think that change is, is good. It's inevitable, um, you know, from, from my perspective. I kind of saw this 
coming. I didn't see it as quick, but again, you know, things change, you move on. Um, from that aspect, it is, it is what it is. Um, but for, for the family in the relatable sense of that logo and hearing that it's going to be retired and, you know, to what, to what level, or, you know, he had stated that it'd be in limbo. And it's, it's unfortunate to think that something that was so, you know, strong and, and amazing, uh, represented the, the, the red nation, um, for that to be removed and gone, you know, that again, as part of that, well, darn it, there goes this opportunity to, you know, continue to represent the red nation in, in a sense of good, strong strength. Um, we still, we're still here. We exist, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it is, it is unfortunate from that regard to see this thing change. Well, Don and Ryan, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we are, are so grateful for the stories, for the history uh, that you brought us here today and, and that your family has brought uh, to the country in many ways. And we're, we're really grateful for that. Uh, we wish you the best as you go here. We know that you know this is, this is sort of a chapter is closed, but it's an ongoing conversation and an ongoing uh, um, you know scenario and and we wish you the best in all of that and thanks again so much for being with us here today and sharing thank you very much thank you thank you guys very much for taking the time to visit yeah much appreciate it yeah